Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name's Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR consultant. And today on the show, we're talking with Phil Thompson. Phil is the director and financial advisor at Sky Wealth. And I was doing a workshop with Phil's team and I stumbled upon his degree in his office. And he has a degree in circus performance. And I was surprised to see that and was thinking, how do you go from circus performance to being a financial advisor? And so I asked him to come on the show and tell his story of his dramatic career change and what it was like for him starting a business. And so on this episode, you're going to find out his story and learn about how he navigated his career change and also hear about how he has taken risks throughout his career and it's a really powerful story and there's going to be so much you can take away especially if maybe you've got a desire to one day start your own business or you're thinking about making a career change this episode is for you it's going to be so helpful so enjoy the show hey phil hey shelly how you going I'm good. I was about to say, hey, Spill. Like I was having like a spoonerism. Thanks, Nate, for editing that out. Um, (laughs) So I've invited you on because I was running a um, workshop with you the other day doing some HR stuff and I was in your office and I stumbled upon your degree and I was like blown away that you have had this crazy, amazing career story and you started out in circus performing and now you've ended up in financial advice and I was just looking at that degree thinking how did that happen what was the evolution of that and so I'd love to dig into that today and can you tell us about go back in time and tell us about the beginning of your career yeah so it's just there degree of circus arts um so I've got probably the most useless arts degree um, (laughs) that that you could think of. Um, But that's it, a degree of circus arts. So, you know, what was the question? Sorry. So how did you get into, how did you get into circus arts? Got it. Cool. Yeah. So when I was a teenager, um, I was into drama, I was into sports and I kind of just did drama at high school because to be perfectly honest, I didn't really care too much about academic success and I thought, oh, well, drama's fun and I enjoy it. So I did drama class and then a youth circus at the time came to the class and basically just said, look, if you enjoy sports and you enjoy drama, I think you'd enjoy circus. And I was like, oh, that's exactly me. So I may as well give it a go and and went along to a youth circus at the time. We trained once a week um, and did some shows and then kind of, yeah, progressed from there. And so how how old were you at the time? I think I was 15. I think it was in year 10 at the time. Wow. Um, And then what happened? So you went along to this youth circus and then did you finish your like high school certificate or 
Yeah, so so I went to the youth circus. That was one day a week. It was absolutely loved it. Like fell in love, and there was there was other youth circuses around. So I did one night a week in this one place in near my place, and then two, uh, so three days a week went into the city. So I live like forty five minutes out of the city. So I took the train, you know, twice after school um, to the to the city to train, and then once on the weekend. Uh, and I had to get myself there. I I think about it now and think. Well, it would have been nice if mum and dad drove us, but I was I was the youngest <laughs> of five, so they were like, "If you want to do it, get your own way there. We'll we'll pick you up once you're finished at the train station." Um, so yeah, I was doing it four nights a week, um, and wow. then yeah, and then found out about a, a arts degree you can do, um, but really it's it's actually very little to do with the actual you know degree at the end of it, and more to do with the training. So it's called NICA, National Institute of Circus Arts. So wow. it's just full-time training all day, every day, well, five days a week um, at in, in Melbourne. And so you finish school, you go and do full-time study in circus performance. And so you were training to become what? What was the, what, what did that training process look like? Yeah, yeah, I was, I was an acrobat. So we, when you start, um, NICA, National Institute of Circus Arts. Uh, I think you spend the first six months or three months working out kind of what areas do you want to do. Um, but I, I walked in there, I knew exactly what I wanted to do from the very beginning because I was training like four days a week before I entered. Um, so I knew I wanted to do handstands and, and partner acrobatics. So handstands is just that, doing handstands on the floor. Partner acrobatics is basically doing handstands on, on someone else. And so how long were you studying for, Phil? It's a three-year degree. So awesome. it's, a, it's a proper arts degree, um, yeah. but it's a little bit different. Most arts degrees, you know, 12 contact hours. Uh, this is like 35 contact hours a week. Um, so it really was full-time training. We did a few classes because you got to tick off the kind of degree requirements, um, but it was pretty much the best coaches in the world um, come and train and, and you're there. I, I got there early. I got there like 7.30 every morning. I mean, I did my own training before actual training started. And then, yeah, we train depending on what year. I think first year you train in the morning and then you do some classes in the afternoon. And those classes include ballet. So awesome. I did three years worth of ballet as well, which is uh, interesting. But, yeah, it's just it's full-on training. Yeah, really. I could imagine it was really uh, physical and exhausting. Yeah, pretty much. I yeah, I was dating my now wife at the time, and went over to her place afterwards, and I would fall asleep every night. We would just hang out, and I'd just be on like on the couch asleep. And, and oh Kate's my gosh. got a lot of patience. Uh, and but when we were young and dating, she wasn't that patient with me falling asleep on her couch every like, night at seven pm. <laughs> yeah, just go home if you're not going to be awake. And I'm like like dying because I'm waking up at like six o'clock to get in there. Yeah, wow. It's it's funny because I guess it's such a niche industry. Like I mm. th- and when I that's when I saw your your degree and I was like, "Wow, I've never met someone who's done this." And then actually, I guess cuz I know you as a financial advisor and I've and we'll talk about your financial advice business in a moment, but I guess seeing that journey and going these two things, they don't seem like they're naturally what you would expect from a financial advisor who's come from this circus performance and acrobat 
kind of background. And yeah. I guess I want to know how, how that evolved, but what did you do once you'd finished your degree? Like, did you actually get into working in the industry or what did that look like? Yeah. So, I mean, there's different kind of ways you can work in the industry. You can go join like Cirque du Soleil. You can join um, like, you know, Disney, um, like the actual theme parks. They have lots of shows. So, a lot of circus performers will go to there or Universal Studios. Um, but what I did was a lot of corporate work. So, you know, a big company will have an annual AGM and they want a performance. So, we would just go there do our act for five minutes and then and then go home. Um, so we did a lot of that corporate work and a little bit of independent shows. Um, but me and my circus partner, we we both kind of travelled a lot separately to each other. So he would be overseas for, you know, four or five months and then come back and we'd perform for a few months together. Then me and Kate would go overseas on a holiday. Um, so it was a little bit disjointed in terms of what we did, but a lot of that corporate work for, for a number of years. How long how long did you work in it for? Um, it was probably two or three years after the degree um, is is what I did. Yeah, overall, two or three years. So it wasn't that long. Yeah, I graduated in 07 and started working in financial planning in 2011. Okay, cool. Now, so talk me through then what led to you going – like, did you start questioning, oh, is this right for me? Is this what I really want to do in the long term? What caused you to think about a change? Yeah, it's circus performance is a hard, a hard gig. Um, you're only as good as your last gig and your body at the end of the day is your work. If, you, if I hurt my shoulders, my hands, my wrists, my back, anything, you can be out of work for a long time. Um, so I knew it wasn't a sustainable career in the long term actually performing. And so, and and I wanted to build a business. I was really, I really am passionate about building a business, and and that's kind of what I wanted long term, and 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 money. And so I thought my sister was a financial planner and accountant, and I spoke to her and just said, like, yeah, I'm thinking about going that direction. Like, what do you think? Um, and she. Yeah, she really encouraged me to do financial planning um, or kind of maybe discouraged accounting or <laughs> encouraged financial planning. Um, and so, yeah, I was thinking it was going to be difficult to build a sustainable business in the circus world. And I imagine it has quite a short lifespan, like in terms of do people stay in the industry for a really, really long time? I mean, I don't know. I'm quite ignorant, so uh, I could be totally way off. Yeah, a lot of a lot of performers. You finish actually performing at like mid thirties, forties. Especially what I was doing, I was the the flyer. I was the one on the top, um, and I'm not a small guy. Even when I started, I wasn't small, and so I knew that it was a very kind of short lifespan for me to continue doing that. Um, and so, yeah, it's a fairly short, you know, performing life. Um, and you, you can still be in the industry, you can still coach, you can still be around the industry, but actually being in front of audiences is, is relatively limited. Can you just explain to me, because I'm so curious now, what is a flyer? What does that involve? Yeah, so what I was doing is, well, our main trick was I would do a one-handed handstand on my partner's head. <laughs> um, and so he would stand there. He would he would stand as still as he could with a with a big fatty on top of his head, and then I would do a handstand <laughs> on his head. And so I was called the flyer, and he was the base. Wow. Okay, that's great visual. <laughs> yeah. 
It's hard to kind of picture it, but yeah. He was, I'm imagining that happening now and thinking, wow, that would take a lot of body strength to do that. <laughs> yeah, I'll show you a picture. I'll send you a picture later. I'd of, love to of, see a picture. Skill, yeah. We need to somehow get that picture and share it with everyone so they can see because I think it is a good, it, it'd be a great visual. Um, okay, so sorry, segue, but just letting my curiosity get the better of me there. I'm really curious about the journey. So you go from being in school really passionate about drama and sport and you've got this real clear, like, I love this, I'm energised by this, and you spend all this time training for years and physically and mentally training and then all of a sudden you go, oh, it's not a sustainable long-term career. So how did you, like, was it just as simple as talking to your sister and going, yeah, financial planning, or did you already have an interest in that? Yeah, definitely had an interest in finance overall and business as well. Um, And so they kind of, yeah, financial planning, I didn't like, a lot of financial planners actually kind of fall into it. They come from accounting or some some normal career into financial planning. Um, but I definitely had an interest in the world of finance and moving in there kind of longer term. Um, and I was interested during school um, to do it, but I thought it's not like I can pick this up when I'm 35 and go into circus performing. I may as well, you know, take my shot and, and have, you know, have fun doing it. There's this really amazing career book by Cal Newport. It's called So Good They Can't Ignore You. And he talks about this thing and I'd, I'd love to know if this was relevant for you, Phil. He, he talks about this idea that you shouldn't follow your passions. So he thinks that the whole passion and career dynamic is like a terrible lie we've all been sold that, oh, follow your passions and you'll you'll have an awesome career. He says, you need to create rare and valuable skills. So create a mix of rare and valuable skills and get really good at something. And that's what actually propels your career, not following a passion. I want to know for Mm. you, because if we think about your career, you've certainly got a mix of rare and valuable skills, right? You've got this circus performance, this athletic kind of career that you've built, also drama, lots of interpersonal skills, but you've then developed this entrepreneurial skill set in financial planning and advising. Have you been intentional about that or has that just kind of happened? Um, It's a a good question. Uh, Not 100% sure I understand the actual question, but when you were talking about that book, it was was really interesting. Like a lot of my training, I don't feel like I lost anything moving away from, from the training and, and from performing um, because I felt like I learned so much about myself, about the world. Um, and a thing that my coach used to always say to me is he, he always used to talk about like 80-20, like t- as long as you've got 20% of the things that you're doing that you love, like 80% of the time you don't need to enjoy it. Like he used to, like as a coach, he used to love only 20% of it and 80% was just, you know, having to train the, you know, the first year students, having to teach people how to do a forward roll when he was like this world-class acrobat, like why is he teaching people to do forward rolls? But it allowed him to train the, the high level, you know, students and, and allowed him to do that. So I do think a lot about, you know, what you were saying about don't just follow your passion. I, I did it because I knew I was young and I had time on my side. 
And so I, it wasn't about like, oh, I'll just follow my passion and see where it leads. It was, it was, it was just about going, well, now I've got time. Like life is long. My career will be long. I can do this. And then moving into financial planning, it, it, I am passionate about it, but it's not like I wake up every morning and super on fire to, to do financial planning, even though I do love it because I think about that 80-20. If I can, as long as there's 20% of my work I absolutely love doing, then I got to put up with the 80% and that's okay to do that. I love that concept of 80-20. I'm just thinking about that, wondering what, how did you figure out what your 20% is that you love? What is that 20% for you that you're like, at the moment, I love doing this, this and this? It's a good question. Um, I... I like solving complex kind of things. Like the the world of finance is complex, and and we talked about it this last week when you were when you were here. Um, that that we try and make the complex things as simple as we can, and that's very hard to do. You got to be very very good at at communicating because because we just do insurance. Like it is a complex world, so I do like trying to just re-engineer our whole business and, and everything we do to simplify our communication to our clients. How do we better communicate what we need to, for our clients? And and that's a that's a really difficult puzzle to solve. Like it is really hard and there's you know massive billion dollar insurance companies that don't know how to do it. And so I that kind of really does, you know, fire me up in, in terms of what we're doing. Um and and I do I I really enjoy sitting in front of clients and talking to them and communicating these things to them because I can see it having an impact on them. Um, but you know, there's plenty of things in the business that it's like oh, if I could handball that off to someone else. That unfortunately I can't. Um, but there are there are plenty of things that it's like. Well, as long as it allows me to do that twenty percent, then I've just got to put up with it. And. What made you, so you mentioned when you you kind of got to that point of going, okay, career in circus performance is not going to be sustainable in the long term. So what I might look at is financial planning and I'd love to start my own business. What made you, what drew you into that business world? Because a lot of the time when we're on, uh, like on my millennial career, we're talking about people's career and employment, but there'd be a lot of people out there who would love to start their own business one day. What was it about starting your own business that attracted you, Phil? It's a good question. Um, maybe I'd need to do a bit more soul searching, but uh, I think it's funny. What's the saying about business? Like you give up a forty-hour work week so you can, you know, work eighty hours <laughs> to, to run your own business. Like I think I did like the idea, and I and I do like the idea of that that kind of freedom. And the reason I chose financial planning as as one of those avenues is because. It is a it is a business where we can do it remotely, and so it, even though for the last ten years of having a business, I've wanted to work overseas, um, and we are doing that next year. It was meant to happen two years ago, but there was a little thing called COVID that stopped us. But having my own business allows me to to do that, and it, it's not the only avenue. Like my staff can do that. And they don't own the business, but they can still work abroad if they need to. Um, but I felt like, yeah, that was a big driver. Is I could kind of, yeah, kind of make those judgment calls on my own and, and actually do it. And you had that, I guess, that full autonomy to make the decisions. And I, when you, I guess, when you start your own business, you're like, 
don't know what you're in for in terms of like the challenges, but you also have this trust of I'm going to figure it out as I go. Mm. Like yeah, I'm you're dumb learn. and ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't know how stressful it's going to be. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, I'll have so much freedom. It's like, uh, no, you won't. <laughs> you're, you will Bad be luck. a slave to your yeah. business. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money Medical, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business, and My Millennial Money. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So you had to study again. You had to go back to study or what did that yep. look like? Yeah, Tell yeah, yeah. That. So studied, studied online. Um, like we're in an incredible world where we can upskill and study and do it online. And so, yeah, I I started the business really early into that, the my career in financial planning. Um, so I took over an existing you know business, and I was had one baby, one more on the way. Started the new business and doing ongoing study at the same time. So um, it was definitely a interesting time and and still doing more study and, and thinking about, okay, what, what is next in terms of that study? And, and I'm not a formal education kind of guy at all. Um, like I am constantly learning, constantly trying to be better, but I, I'm not a big believer in going to university. Um, but even that still, I'm thinking about, okay, do I, what are those next avenues for study after, after we've completed some things? But yeah, did it all online. So, and you bought the business and then how long have you been in business for now? It's a good question. I think 10 years. I think wow. I did 10 years, like two, three weeks ago. Yeah. Wow. It's amazing, isn't it? How even just hearing your kind of process, there's been some big risks that you've taken and you're in the business of risk advising, right? Like that's what you do on a daily basis, but you've taken some big risks. What have, what has helped you to take those risks in your career? Uh, for me, I've time is, is the big thing. I always knew that if everything blows up, I've got time to fix it. And so, and, and to be honest, we were, I was a poor, starving, you know, artist. 
for a long time. So I went to uni for a long time and then after that I was an artist. And so it's not like I came from money and had something to lose. My thinking was if I if this all goes belly up, like I fortunately do work in finance and can just go and get a corporate job and get paid like three times what I was earning being self-employed. <laughs> I'd actually get a pay rise. <laughs> That's so good. But it's awesome to hear that time as the driver that you're like thinking through. And I guess that's been a theme over your career because you thought through, oh, the circus performance gig is not a long-term option. So there was the time thing there. And then when you took the risk to start your own business, you're also thinking about, I've got time if this fails. Mm. Like it's interesting when you see those themes emerge in your career of what your decision-making logic has been. Like you've used that time as a lens, but also I think I'm thinking about your career, Phil, and what I'm hearing in this conversation around that desire for autonomy. Like you've got this drive for autonomy and ownership and also to be, I guess, the master of your time, even if that means you're working 80-hour weeks for your own business. Um, So it's just a really... I don't know, it's a really cool story to hear. And for anyone listening, if you're thinking about one day your goal is to start your own business and you're worried about the risk because it's such a big thing when people are at that point of, do I, don't I? I love what Phil's saying. So be encouraged around there isn't, like what is there actually to lose? Like you can Mm. always go to a corporate gig or go find another job. Yeah, and I was like extremely fortunate. I like, you know, you you can't not recognize the privilege. Like I I went and asked my father-in-law for money. I when I went and bought into this business, I had no money. We had nothing. We had one baby, another one on the way. We had no money whatsoever. And I said to my father-in-law, "Hey, can I have a whole bunch of money?" And he Fortunately, he said yes. And so, like, of course, like, I'm an incredibly privileged to be in that position. And, and I remember what he, always, what he said to me when, like, because it was one of these things. It's like, oh, Kate can't ask you, <laughs> but she can kind of, like, maybe see the idea that there's something there, like there's something serious Phil's going to ask you, but I had to ask him. And he, he response to me was, like, oh, I don't think I'll ever forget it. His response was, like, if you – like kind of brave enough to ask for the money and you think you're going to do it, then then why wouldn't I give you the money? To, well, he didn't give it to us, he lent it to us. Um, why wouldn't I lend you the money? Um, and it was fortunate that he came from a, like he ran his own business. So he, like I didn't ask my parents because my parents had never ran their own business. I was like, you know, very few people in my business run their own show. But yeah, he was just said, like if you're brave enough to ask for a whole bunch of money, then, you know, why not? Wow. Uh, I just love that so much. I love that on so many levels because that uh, okay, there's just so much gold in there. And one of the things I think I've found in my career in HR is people are very reticent to ask for help, especially at those critical junctures. Like we think about those critical moments in your career where you're making a decision to start a business or you're making a decision to leave a really stable job to go work as a freelance or do uh, go work in a startup where, you know, there may not be longevity. And I think about how many examples I've had of people reaching out to me saying, 
oh, this parental leave position's come up. It's only for 12 months, but I'm in a stable job, but it's my dream. Like it's a really exciting role. Should I take it? And it always comes down to this risk thing of like, well, it's a risk to take the plunge, but it's a risk to stay doing what you're doing. Hmm. And in your story, I love how you've actually put your hand up and asked for help when you need it. You've been brave. You've been courageous to go, I need someone to back me here. And that takes, I think, a lot of guts to do because it's humbling. Was that what, – what, how did that feel when you were like – I guess, because you're taking a risk on that relationship as well. Like you were saying, can you back me here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, the the funny thing about money, people get so like awkward about money that, and, and you know, I, I asked my father-in-law for a whole bunch of money. Um, but the other thing is I always talk to other people I know and friends and people who, you know, ask many questions. I'm like, money is actually the easiest thing to come by. Like if you just ask for it. Because people will be willing to give you it. Like if you can back yourself and say, I like I know beyond a shadow of a doubt I'm giving you this money back. Now, things can go belly up, I can go bankrupt, whatever, but I know I'm gonna pay my father in law back even if everything went to crap. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I'm sure that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm that's with you, fine. Shelley. So like <laughs> if, if everything went down downhill, then again, it's like, well, at the end of the day, I get a corporate job and it'll take me 10 years to pay back this loan. And then where am I? I'm 35 now. Like, so, and then if I really want to, I, I go again. Like, and so I always just look at the downside risk and go, it's really not that bad, the downside risk. And the other thing is, like, incredibly fortunate to be married to Kate, my wife, who, like, has always, always, always said, even to this day, when I get stressed out, she's like, you know, if we, we can just sell the house, we can just like rent and we're fine. Like as long as we're together, then like who cares if things go down? And so always, I always say and always think about that as like at the end of the day, the downside's not that bad. Um, and so why be worried about it? I'm such a, I wouldn't, I'm, I wouldn't, I don't, ugh, here we go. This will be like a deep dive <laughs> into who I am as a person. Um, I would consider myself, I love to plan for worst case scenarios and I can lean probably more to pessimism than definitely optimism. Um, and so I just go to, well, what's the worst case? What's the, what's the worst case scenario here? And uh, it can be helpful and unhelpful. One of the things when I've like weighed up risk and I love hearing your story, like you've got the risk of asking your father-in-law for money. You've got the return that if it works you're going to build this amazing business that's going to be really successful and is successful. And and you don't know that at the time though when you're asking for help, but the return could be massive. And then you've got a contingency plan. So your contingency plan that you've worked out with your wife, Kate, is we sell the house. So I think you've got those three things. And, and I, I love knowing that and and planning. For me, I've I, I when I'm taking career risks, I've always got those three things in mind. Well, what's the risk? What's the return? If in, like, What's the best case scenario? And then what's my contingency? Like, what am I preparing for if this all goes belly up, as you said before? Mm. Is, is that something you've proactively done or is that just something you're just – you're just doing on the fly. You're just going, we'll work it out. Yeah, I like, I would, I definitely lean way too optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> and just, but, but also, like, I, I heard a saying on a podcast I listened to the other day is like, all the worst things that has ever happened in my life never actually happened. 
because they're just all in your head. Like, because you're always thinking about the downside, always worrying about, well, this could happen, this could happen. But if, at the end of the day, most of it doesn't actually happen or eventuate. Like, the worst never actually comes yeah. to fruition for most people. Um, so, you know, and, you know, when we say we'll sell the house, that's that's like today. That's a conversation me and Kate are having today when I'm getting stressed out. She's like, if we need to pull the pin, we still can. Like, you know, because when we started, we didn't have a house. We didn't, we literally had no money. Like I'm not, not even talking like five grand in savings. I'm talking about nothing. And so like it was always uh, the, the, back then the conversation was we can always move in with family if we need to or we can yeah. always rent. Like we can, we can work it out, whatever, whatever that downside is. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> if, you could, if, if you could see my face, I'm like processing so much of what you're saying, Phil, because it's really helpful and insightful. And for me on my early journey in my business, I'm learning so much from what you're saying because I totally relate when you're like, oh my gosh, what the heck am I doing? Will we be okay? And just going, I've just got to trust that I, I can learn and if worst case scenario happens, I've got the resources to sort it and to figure it out. And, and the interesting thing for us, for the first eight years of business, it was still that conversation, this is way too hard, this is crap, this is, we're not, there is no upside. <laughs> like, what, what am I even doing? Like, this is, this is so dumb, what am I doing? Get out. <laughs> and, and I would always kind of fight that and be like, no, it will work, it will work. <laughs> The optimist in me kept on saying it'll work. And then Kate was still like, you know, well, what's going to happen? And and I did put a deadline on myself saying like, if it doesn't get better at this point, because it's always, it's always going to get better. And that's what I always, for eight years, it was always, it's going to get better if X, Y, and Z fixes itself or if I can fix A, B, and C. And it just didn't for that long. Um, and we weren't like, we were paying myself a wage and it wasn't, it wasn't horrendous. Um, but it just wasn't getting that much better until I said, okay, I really need to draw a line in the sand and either get out or, or something needs to change. Um, and so fortunately it did and I, and I still have the business. Um, but it, uh, what changed? Uh, I, well, my, my business change. So um, as, as, as financial advisors, we can do kind of any, almost anything to do with money except for tax returns and like actually writing a will. Most of that will kind of is captured under financial advice. And instead of thinking I was smarter than everyone else who's come before me and thinking I'm better than everyone else who's come before me, yet still not making any money for eight years, <laughs> I decided to actually listen to people who said that doing one thing really, really well will serve you. Um, and, and having a niche will really serve you. Um, and so that's what we did. We didn't just niche into like the type of clients we worked with because I thought I did that for five years prior, but I didn't really. Um, the niche was, do you have a breath? Um, but then I really just <laughs> took a stab and said, we are only going to do insurance for clients. If they need anything else, we're going to, it's going to be really painful, but I'm going to say, hey, we're not the right fit and you need to work with X, Y, and Z. Um, and that helped us communicate exactly kind of who will fit us and who won't. And that's been a massive growth driver for us. Yeah, and and niching down like that is not just a thing that applies to you if you're starting your own business. If you're in any career, we want you to figure out what am I going to be known for? You can apply that learning that Phil had that's really been critical to your growth in Sky in your business but you can apply that in your own career if you're at a big corporate, a not-for-profit, 
government job, wherever you are, focus on what you want to become known for and and find that narrow gap. And that's a really good way to fast track your career growth. Because I'm just thinking back to that whole concept that we talked about earlier, Phil, around um, Cal Newport's book, So Good They Can't Ignore You. And when he talks about finding those skills that are rare and valuable, I think that is really going, what are you known for? What's your niche? Like, how do you find unique mixes of skills that make you stand out from everyone else? And so often that comes down to to saying no to certain things so that you can say yes in a really strong way in one area. So that for you is insurance and we'll Everyone needs to go onto Sky Wealth if you haven't got your insurance sorted. This is the plug. You need to go and sort it. I personally have done it and it's awesome. And I'd love to kind of, I'm conscious of time, so I'd love to close with a couple of quick things. But I'm thinking back to this idea of you're a financial advisor. So that's, you've got this skill set in financial advice. You probably wouldn't say this, but I would say this about you, is you're a great communicator. Would you say that about yourself? Sorry if I... (laughs) Uh, I I wouldn't know. No, well I will. Appreciate it. I would <laughs> say you're so you've got this financial advice skill set. You've got this communication skill set, which I think I know like is something that you make things that are complex, simple for people to understand, like me, like a you know basic. Uh, yeah, I would say I work hard at it. Yeah, like it's it doesn't come natural, but I, I work really really hard at trying to do that. Which and is good. Thank you. <laughs> no worries. You're welcome. And then the last thing that you've had this performance, like this circus performance skill set. And it's funny when people have these big career change moments where they think, oh, all the stuff that I've learned in this time frame, I've now moved careers and I've just lost all that. And I'd love to know for you, what does that look like of, go- of going, I've invested all this time, but how do, like, are, do you find you're still able to apply that? Because I think when you've had career changes, it's really worthwhile of, of considering how do those things flow into your new career, the learnings that you've had. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting because yeah, as as a specialist business, we actually finding it difficult to recruit people because they don't want to lose those other skills. And I'm just like sitting here going, "What are you doing, you silly sausage?" Like, you don't lose it. You just you just it's additive. Like, yeah. And so, like, I think about my, you know, performing, and and it's actually less about performing and about training. And and the thing that you know, I did handstands. Handstands is one of these really strange kind of things within circus whereby you do the same thing every single day and you improve so slightly every single day and and to be honest most days you you feel like you're going backwards and so it's just that that getting used to doing the boring things and just knowing that this is going to help me and I know it's going to help me but just continue to do the boring things and and that's the thing that I used to do I used to get there before anyone else and I would, because my coach told me to do 30 press-ups to handstand. And I would just go there with me and my whiteboard, the gym completely empty and and mark the whiteboard every time I do it. I just warm up and then start pressing. And that was what I had to do before th- the training day even started. And if I didn't do it 30 by the end of the training day, which is like, you know, five o'clock at night, got to stay back and, and do my presses. And so... That learning of going, like just being really disciplined and doing something that feels 
Like you're not improving because doing 30 presses, if you can do one, doing 30 feels dumb. Well, I'm doing 30 of these, but it, it helps everything else in in kind of the, the training. And so, yeah, just that learning of going just be hyper-disciplined and just marking my whiteboard and then and then walking away at the end was really helpful in, in everything else I've done. Ah, oh, that is awesome. Like, oh my goodness. And I, I love seeing your story unfold and, and hearing it in this way where you've got the benefit of hindsight, obviously, but that idea of the mundane, because I'm sure this is spoken like a true HR person. Like, I'm sure there's some boring parts of financial planning. No, <laughs> not an insurance. <laughs> What? Like, <laughs> it's all exciting. <laughs> but the training that you learn as a circus performer in that in your studies is something that you've brought into your career now. And I love that idea of you doing day in, day out, those small little things that improve rather than looking for big transformations. And have you heard of the principle of marginal gains? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's that concept of really small little tweaks. Like what are the small things like you going there every morning at 7.30 and doing the day in, day out, it feels like, oh, am I making progress? Am I like actually getting ahead? Has taught you such a good skill about grit, about training, about growth mindset. And there's so much for each of us to take away. Like I'm just thinking how I need to listen to this again. But I think... I just want to say thank you for sharing your story and I didn't give you any questions to prepare for this. So we, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. that was no worries. Me. I mean, I hope, I hope, I hope it's valuable. Um, as I said at the start, I'm not like, it's interesting as a headliner, but at the end of the day, it's like just changing, changing careers is, is maybe not that exciting. I think that's really, really good to know that any of those big changes come with risk but I love what you've said around, well, what's the worst that can happen? And often that worst case scenario doesn't eventuate. And so having your contingencies in place. We've got time for one more question. So I'd love to know, um, just to close out, what is your biggest career fail? It's a good question. I, I was thinking about this before, which we t- touched on it earlier, is, is I didn't listen to people early enough and and I thought I was smarter than everyone else. I thought financial advisors are, are not doing this good enough and and it's not untrue but I thought I was the one to be able to solve the issues and it not be, well, these are just issues that everyone deals with and it's not just because no one's smarter than me. Like I'm actually not that smart. So for me, the biggest career mistake is spending eight years not nailing the one thing and really being focused on the one thing that I can solve. That's so good, Phil. I think there's so much that people can take away from your story. And the other reminder I want to say is ask for help. Ask, be brave. Ask for, like, I love your story about asking your father-in-law for that help and to back you. And we all need those moments. We all have those moments in our career where we need to do that. So love it. It's amazing. And I just want to wrap up by letting people know how can we find out more about you and your business? Um, you can find out about the business, skye.com.au. Um, finding out about me, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, but I don't know if you really want to, but I'm on LinkedIn. <laughs> he's, worth, he's worth connecting on LinkedIn, absolutely. And hey, Phil, thanks so much for chatting with us today and sharing your story. No worries. Thanks for having me. Bye. 
We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Hey, thanks for listening. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money Medical, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business, and My Millennial Money. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.